Scott, I need to get your take on the debacle in Canada, the international scandal at this point. Uh, the uh, Prime Minister of Canada, uh, uh, Justin Trudeau, has walked back any uh, any blame for or has denied any blame for the celebration of Yaroslav uh, what was his last name now? Uh, Yaroslav Hunko, I believe his name was. Yeah, uh, yes, Yaroslav Hunka. He is former SS Waffen, 14th Division, uh, first Ukrainian division of the SS. Now, Scott, the, on Friday, uh, there was a celebration in Parliament after Zelensky's speech. And it was quite, quite clear that Justin Trudeau was not just clapping and Zelensky was giving the fist pump to this general. Actually, some camera angles look like he was literally giving the uh, you-know-what signal uh, to, to Hunka. But also, you know, uh, Anthony Rhoda, the uh, uh, chairman this, uh, of parliament, he has been dismissed. What do you make of this? Uh, give me your opinion, because you've been on this program going over Ukraine's problem with fascists, with Nazis. And now this seems like a pretty big mask off moment for one of Ukraine's staunchest allies in the collective West. So I'll kick it to you. Well, I think, first of all, we need to understand that um, when you speak of the 14th Galatian uh, division of the Waffen SS, um, it is a part of Canadian history. I mean, anybody who has studied World War II uh, knows that this division surrendered to the British almost in mass um, instead of being turned over like everybody else to the Soviets to be lined up against the wall and shot uh, as they should have been. Um, they were instead uh, deported, not deported, they were <laughs> sent away uh, to become Canadian residents. Uh, you, so you basically took 14,000 Waffen-SS stormtroopers, murderers, rapists, thugs, the most disgusting kind of people in the world. Now, I know there's a lot of you. They were not. They were just warriors. No, they murdered Jews. They, they shot them. They bayoneted children. Um, I can't prove that this guy did it, but he was a rifleman. Um, so he probably, you know, shot a few Jewish women himself. Uh, probably enjoyed it, too, because that's how those Ukrainians are that joined the Waffen-SS. They're not innocents. These are ideologically motivated thugs. Um, but now they get to go to Canada and live. But it's not just live. I mean, normally one would think that with your history like this, you'd, uh, you'd sort of be hiding from it. You know, where were you in the war, Grandpa? I, uh, I, I was, you know, shoveling manure in, uh, in Ukraine, uh, something like that. But, you know, nope, monuments go up. The 14th Galatian Division, the greatest guys in the planet, good people, staunch people, total rewrite of history. So let's just start off that that when, when somebody says 14th division, everybody knows what it is, especially people like Christia Freeland, who herself is just a dyed in the wool Nazi. We've talked about it. You know, little Nazi girl scout. Her grandfather was an editor for a Nazi paper. She's been apologizing for him ever since rewriting his history. Um, so she is scum personified. And so is almost everybody of Ukrainian descent in Canada. They come from that background. Again, I'm not saying that just because you're Ukrainian, you're scum, but I'm saying that if your ancestors were Nazis and you glorify their history and you continue to try and whitewash it, then you're scum too. Um, so now this man shows up in parliament. 
Now, I've testified before the Canadian Parliament in the past, and I will tell you that there's a vetting process before you get through the doors. Um, you know, so they know who I am. The security guys have me in their system, um, etc. And when I testified, it was just to the head of a committee. Now, imagine the head of state, not just the head of Canada, but the head of Ukraine coming. The vetting that's done there by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, by the Canadian Intelligence Services, they're going to, everybody in there has gone through a process. You have submitted documents. Somebody has looked at the sheet and looked at your name and go, yep, double check. And as you come in, you're screened, metal detectors, the whole thing. So here comes the Nazi coming in. They knew he was a Nazi. They knew he's from the 14th Division. Why? Because this was a scripted event. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't like Justin was like, you know, plotting Zelensky and he went, oh, look, there's a 98-year-old guy. I wonder where he came from. What did you do in the war, Grandpa? I was with the 14th Division. The 14th Division. <sighs> you know, no. The camera knew where to go. They had the whole history done. This was a scripted event. The guy had been cleared. I think you mentioned that his granddaughter posted a photograph showing him waiting. This is ahead of time, waiting to be greeted by Zelensky and Trudeau. So the idea that this was somehow an accident, a mistake, and remember the day it happened on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. So th this is a dude from a division to kill Jews, and they're celebrating him on one of the biggest Jewish holidays. It, this ain't a good look, but it's not an accident. It show, What it shows is either Justin Trudeau is just a dyed-in-wool Nazi. I don't believe that. Um, or the Canadians have become so inured to the, the 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 potential of nazis in ukraine that they've bought into the absolute stupid notion that they're not nazis they're just misunderstood ukrainian nationalists then i'm like come on guys cut them a break it was a tough time you know to be a ukrainian nationalist you had no choice but to march alongside hitler and if he wanted you to kill a couple jews i mean hey you had to do it in the cause of nationalism because we're ukrainian nationalists our cause comes first. Remember, it was Stepan Bandera himself who said to a Polish courtroom in 1936, when put on charge for murdering a uh, Polish prosecutor, uh, when he, they said, well, what would you do for the Ukrainian nation? He said, I would kill millions of innocent people for the Ukrainian nation. All right, that's Stepan Bandera. The 14th Division is cut from the same piece of cloth. This was no accident. This is a disgrace. And in any normal democracy, Justin Trudeau would be run out of office. Everybody in there would have been run out of office. It would be a day of national shame. But instead, we're told this is just one giant Russian propaganda event. As if the Russians wrote the script. I mean, these Russians are pretty damn good. Don't you have to admit, Danny? I mean, because obviously, <laughs> yeah. the security guys are going through it. You know, you got Putin going, okay, call now. And the Russian <laughs> ambassador to Canada. All right. Um, hey, while you're... I'm going to distract you while this name goes through here. So you guys, you know, I mean, come on. You th really think that Russia did this? Russia had anything to do with this? This is an event that writes itself. Russia didn't script this. Um, it's it's not Russia that's taking advantage. It's Poland is. They're going to try and extradite this murderous Nazi war criminal. Again, he's 98, and you're like, give him a break, Scott. No, sorry. There is no statute of limitations on murder. Um, and this is the other thing that gets me. I, I just don't understand this. You know, I'm not Jewish. I think that should be obvious to everybody. Um, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool Anglo-Saxon. Um, that doesn't mean I have a problem with uh, Jewish people. I don't. I'm not Jewish, though. But I take people's history seriously. 
And when the Jewish people say, especially after World War II and the Holocaust, never again. I'm like, well, I have to respect that. They mean never again. I mean, and I, I'm not a master of the English language. I speak Marine, so, you know, I fumble it all over the place. But never again. Those are two words that I think I know what the meaning of. And when you put them together, never again, it means it ain't never again going to happen. So why the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, why the Friends of the Simon Weisenthal Center, why the Vod Vashem Museum, which has documented the murder of thousands of Jews at the hands of the 14th Division, why these people aren't screaming for Justin Trudeau's head on a platter? I mean, this is the kind of stuff that should bring governments down. Why the Jewish nation globally, the people, um, aren't up in arms about this because they too have sold their soul for the cause of Ukraine. They've turned a blind eye. Most of them, not all. There's some people speaking up, but Jews in general, Canada and the United States have turned a blind eye to the fact that we are literally um, allowing this hateful, odious ideology to resurrect itself. And the proof of that is when the Canadian Prime Minister, together with the collective Canadian Parliament, stand up and applaud a Nazi murderous thug from Ukraine that everybody knew was a Nazi murderous thug from Ukraine. Mm. Yes, indeed. And I wanted to actually pull up what you were referencing. So his daughter-in-law, Yaroslav Hunka's daughter-in-law, deleted the photo and DD Geopolitics was able to capture the screenshot. So was, uh, there's all kinds of attempts by the collective West as a whole, but especially Justin Trudeau in Canada to say, uh, this was only Anthony Rhoda's fault. He's resigned now. This was a huge mistake. Oops. Right. And then if you don't l allow Russia to get one, you're only spreading Russian propaganda. If you point out our wrongdoing here, but here is the big problem by saying that not only did they celebrate this out and out fascist, but they are also attempting to pull the wool over our eyes and say it was some kind of error. But yet here is Teresa Hunka, his daughter-in-law, with a screenshot, very excited. She says, Dado is waiting in the reception hall for Trudeau and Zelensky. He obviously met with Trudeau and Zelensky before the parliament meeting even began. So they obviously knew that he was going to speak and yeah. they knew that he was going to be celebrated. And to think that Rhoda is some uh, lone wolf here is absolutely ridiculous. But but Scott, it, re if you could react to this, but not only this, could you tell uh, viewers this longstanding problem, Canada and the collective West have, have had with Ukraine and with this Nazi problem, with this fascist fascism problem, because this is something that we've been pointing out. And when Putin says denazification, it's all oh, that's 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 a lie. That's that's not right. That's not actually what Russia is doing. And here you have someone being celebrated for fighting against the Russians during, uh, uh, you know, the only war where that would be possible, World War Two. And the only side that was fighting against the Russians during World War II was the side of fascism. Uh, uh, your, your thoughts? Well, I just want to start off by pointing that, <clears throat> thanks to that photograph, we now know that he wasn't just in the same room with Trudeau and Zelensky. He physically met them. 
And anybody out there with a security background <laughs> or has dealt with, you know, meeting heads of state, um, you, you don't get that close unless you've been thoroughly vetted, thoroughly vetted, um, you know, inside, outside, upside down. So they knew who he was meeting. They knew where they were talking about. Uh, this is not an accident. This was done on purpose. Um, and for some reason, they thought that the, this would be a ho-hum thing because, you know, after all, all, all he's guilty of is fighting the Russians. No, he's not guilty of that. Look, the, I mean, one of the problems with Ukrainian nationalism is that it's, it's, it's a very um, convoluted history. Um, you know, the, you know, where do you, where do you start? But what we can say is that um, the end of World War One was sloppy. Um, between the Brusilov offensive and, and then the Kerensky offensive, the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk, which created this Ukrainian Republic, German occupation, empowering them, um, you know, breathing life into this notion of Ukrainian nationalism. Um, where do you draw the lines? You have the, the, the Polish-Soviet war um, where, you know, Red Army troops are driving to Warsaw, the Poles kick them back, they drive to Kiev, they have to stop, and then you get this artificial line drawn on a map that sort of splits the Galatian population, which is an intermixed population of Polish people and Western Ukrainians. Um, you know, and then you have, you know, um, people like um, Petrulia, the, the early uh, Ukrainian nationalist uh, coming in, he sets the tone for Bandera rising up through the ranks. Um, you know, fighting because Bandera operated on Polish soil, not uh, you know Russian Ukrainian soil. Um, but you know, uh, Ukrainian nationalism was born actually in the Galatian region of Poland. Uh, then the Second World World Second World War starts. Uh, the resentment that the Ukrainian nationalists had towards the Poles and the Polish Jews in particular manifested itself. Uh, one only has to take a look at um, the rape of Lvov. Uh, that took place in July of 1941, uh, where Bandera's troops ran through that city, slaughtering thousands of Jews. I mean, the photographs of that, it was well documented, and the photographs will turn your stomach. I i think everybody should see them, but um, don't do it on an empty stomach. I, I think these are things that have to be seen to understand it. If you look in the eyes of the boys chasing down the naked, half-naked uh, Jewish girl that they're getting ready to rape and beat to death, um, She's already bloodied in the face. Her clothes have been torn off. And you look at the eyes. It's a wolf. It's a pack of wolves going in for the kill. And it's important to see that because this this 98-year-old uh, guy was a young guy during that time. And I can guarantee you that his eyes looked that way, too. He was chasing down the Jewish girls and raping them and killing them because that's what they did. But the, 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 the Ukrainian nationalists uh, organized their own units. Um, they carried out horrific crimes. Uh, on their own, um, but they also uh, organized into actual German combat units. And one of these units was the 14th Division, the Galatian Division of the uh, Waffen-SS. Uh, they did fight. Uh, you know, they, they were involved in combat, but they were also involved in a lot of police actions, uh, going up against partisans and um, suppressing civilian opposition. And they were very effective at hunting down Jews. Um, 1944 is a very good year for for them, they went out in um, in Hungary and elsewhere. They went down and just slaughtered Jews. Uh, and and when I say slaughtered, they, you know, this isn't uh, indifference. This is a task that they took pleasure in, because the Jews are subhuman. 
It's the same thing. They take pleasure in killing Poles and killing Russians because they view themselves as the Aryan super race along there with the Germans. Um, the at the end of the war, this this division, uh, like I said, was uh, you know was surrendered, and uh, rather be turned over though because what what happened at the end of the war is. If you remember, Winston, if you remember, as if we're that old, but studying, <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll see that Winston Churchill um, had a huge problem with the Soviets, um, and, and especially the rapid expansion of the of the Soviet Army, the Red Army, out of Russian or Soviet territory into Eastern Europe, especially in Poland. Um, and there was a lot of resentment on the part of Winston Churchill. So early on, even as early as 1944, Winston Churchill, as the special operations executive of the uh, of British intelligence, uh, start to run uh, Polish nationalists and uh, Ukrainian nationalists against the Red Army. Uh, and they're actually killing Red Army soldiers. Uh, if you go and look at the uh, exchanges between Stalin and Churchill and the Soviets and the, and the British leading up to um, Yalta, uh, in Potsdam, uh, you'll see that Stalin is saying, you know, you guys want me to support this certain Polish dude, uh, but, you know, you're funding him, we know this, to kill Red Army, and we've lost Red Army soldiers for this. And I'm not, I can't, I can't support this because there's the blood of, Poland has been liberated with the blood of, of the Red Army, and I, I can't support somebody who's actively trying to kill uh, Red Army soldiers and is killing them. So, the British, from the earliest times, had an issue with this uh, with the Soviet Union, and so they automatically aligned with. And the British have a history of doing this. They they can yeah. hold their nose against the stench. Uh, they can they align with people. Uh, they believe in the um, the you know the friend. Or what is it? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so, you know the um, so the Fourteenth Division surrenders, and the British take it over. Um, Despite the fact that the Soviets are saying we want them to come here, these guys are, have committed huge atrocities, and we we need to hold them to account. Nope, they um, they ship them out. Now they had a history when when the Banderas step on Bandera, the organization of Ukrainian nationalists. You know those kids are running around Lvov raping and beating up women, and they turn around and raped up, beat up everybody. Um, when they were being kicked out, about thirty to forty thousand fighters and about two hundred thousand supporters remained in Western Ukraine. But about 150 to 200,000 fled with Stepan Bandera with the Germans back to Germany, back to Berlin. And then when uh, Berlin fell, these people went over to the West and they became what they called the uh, displaced persons, DPs. But not Bandera and not his his harshest people because one of the Germans that fled with him was a guy named Galen, a German general. He ran the intelligence operations in the East. And he organized the Banderas to stay behind units to carry out intelligence operations, reconnaissance, uh, sabotage, etc. And so he was he was controlling them. And when he was captured, now the Americans were going up against the wall, bam, we're going to kill you because you're a Nazi scum pig. And he went, yeah, but I control a network of tens of thousands of people. And the Americans went, really? Well, welcome to the club, boy. Come on in. All's forgiven. Bring in your entire organization, all your little Nazi intelligence thugs. Bring them in, and we'll just wash you, cleanse you with holy water, and you now work for us. Originally, it was the OSS, the Office of Strategic uh, State, uh, Services, and then it became, in '47 the CIA. And so we were using the Banderas and Ukrainian nationalists um, 
to communicate with the Banderas that are in Ukraine. So all this is going on. Meanwhile, you got 14,000 Galatian soldiers, and we go, what do we do with them? Well, the Brits said, off to Canada you go. And so they shipped that unit mm. off. They shipped a whole bunch of these Ukrainians from these uh, DP camps throughout uh, in West Germany, or occupied Germany. They shipped them to the United Kingdom, to the United States, to Canada, to Australia. They just dispersed them. And they, they reinforced an existing Western Ukrainian diaspora of people who had fled you know, after the First World War. Uh, they were sort of normal people. But now these fanatics come in and they take over. You can read books about, especially in Canada, how these... Uh, OUN guys came in, the organization Ukrainian Nationalists came in, and they just took over through intimidation. They just came in and said, no, we're in charge. We're the ones who will define what Ukrainian national is. We're going to rewrite the history so that everybody looks great. Um, and that's what we're doing. And Canada bought it. This is where you get Christia Freeland. She comes from this revisionist approach. This is why in Ellenville, New York, we can have monuments to step on Bandera. And people go, well, he's just a Ukrainian nationalist. No, he's a murderous, rapist thug. Um, so is, you know, um, uh, the Roman Shukovitz next to him and, and, and the other two. So that, that's what's happened. But here's the, here's the important thing. While these people are being settled in and these diasporas are there, the CIA is running covert operations into eastern Poland, western Ukraine, using this organization. And the way the CIA works, I'm not going to give away too many secrets tonight, but they use diasporas. I mean, that's what they do because the diasporas maintain clear. Yeah. Yeah. And so they will contact the diasporas and they'll open up, you know, communication chains and then they gather intelligence and then they train their own little team. They parachute them in and, um, you know, they parachuted a lot of guys in. They all got captured because the one thing you can say is, even, well, even though Galen had, uh, was thinking he was running this organization. The, the Soviets had infiltrated it and were getting good feedback. But there was some bloody fighting going on for from 1944, uh, because remember the Red Army took over this a lot of this territory in 44, even though the war didn't end until 45. From 44 until say 53, 54, so 10 year period, uh, the Red Army lost about the Red Army and the internal security forces lost about 40 to 50 thousand guys in combat. 10 years. It took us 10 years in Vietnam to lose 58,000. And people remember there's some heavy fighting in Vietnam. So it was a serious war. Understand the scope and scale of the fighting then that's taking place in Ukraine during this period of time. It's not minor. It's a big deal. Guys hanging out in the woods, running in, slaughtering villages. They killed hundreds of thousands of civilians during this time. Um, eventually, the Red Army got the upper hand. And around 54, 53, 54, they, they suppressed this. They arrested a bunch of people. Another... 100,000 or so Ukrainian nationals flee, going into the diaspora, further um, in, infecting the uh, mindset of these people. The others, about 100, 200,000, go to the Gulag, where they're locked up, and it's, the key's going to be thrown away. Because the Soviets, if you go back and read the history of the time, they hate the Banderists. They view them as literally the scum of the earth. They know what they are. They've seen them butchered. So many people died in Western Ukraine during the Nazi occupation. Other people fled that there was nobody to teach. There was nobody to, to run the education. So the, the Soviet government brought in Eastern Ukrainians, Russians, ethnic Russians, in to man the schools and do all this. What did the Banderas do? Killed them all. 100,000 of them. 100,000 of them. They killed them. Um, so 
now they're locked away. 1956, Nikita Khrushchev, because you know Stalin, you know, kicked off a couple years earlier. Khrushchev holds his secret, uh, his secret speech, and basically it's denouncing Stalin in the Stalinist period, and it's trying to expose the sins. It's an effort to you know heal uh, the, the 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 Soviet people. So he denounces Stalin, and one of his acts was to open up the gulag and free the political prisoners. So all of the worst people in the world, the Bandera scum that had been arrested, locked up, yeah. were now released. And they were allowed to come back into Ukraine and reintegrate into society. And you can say, okay, Scott, but that's not, it's not that bad, is it? Well, yes, because remember the CIA is running the diaspora organization. They're funding it and they're making connectivity. And there's a collusion between the Nazis and diaspora, the Nazis that were just released from the, from the gulag to work their way back up into Ukrainian society and up they go, all funded by the CIA. The CIA funded this operation up until 1990. In 1990, the decision was made that we no longer needed to fund this because it was sort of on automatic mode and relations are getting good and we don't need to be doing this whole regime change thing again. Um, but we, it's not that it's just that the CIA backed away. We continued to do the funding, but we used other monies to do this, uh, et cetera. But this is the thing. This is the norm where in the United States, in Canada, in Great Britain, the Western Ukrainians and diaspora have rewritten their history and published book after book magazine. One of the Christia Freeland's gravest sins is the, what she did with her grandfather. He was an editor of a newspaper in Krakow uh, that was loyal to the organization Ukrainian nationalists and the Nazis. And his paper was a pure propaganda piece that actually facilitated the deaths of Jews, encouraged these things, etc. He came over as part of the diaspora, a part of the you know the, the wave of immigrants, and integrated in. And she started writing about him later on, and, and it just total whitewash, total whitewash. He didn't do anything wrong, you know. This was difficult times. That's our whole thing. It was a difficult time. Yeah, but difficult time doesn't justify the murder of Jews, the murder of Poles, the murder of Russians. Uh, it ain't a difficult time unless you're the guy doing the murdering. Now we got you. But Canada gives them all a clean bill of health. The United States, nobody questions this. And today, if you dare question this, if you dare raise the facts, you're called a Russian propagandist. Yeah. You're, you're called a, a tool of Putin. But no, we have, we have, we know what the truth is. But what we've done is allow our hatred of Putin and Russia, this Russophobia that's infected society, to blind us to the fact that there are Nazis among us today. Just this summer, there were two iterations of the uh, youth camp here in uh, Ellenville, New York. I've seen the photographs, and they're lined up wearing their brown little Nazi uniforms, holding their portraits of Stepan Bandera with their little banners on which are Nazi symbology. Now, reason, well, that's not really Nazi symbology. Yes, it is. That's where they got it from, from the Nazis, and they've incorporated it as their own. This, these are sick people, but this, that illness infects not just Ukraine, but everything around us. Anybody, who, I'll, I'll put it this way. Here's a direct challenge. Anybody who has a Ukrainian flag on the social media, you're a Nazi supporter. You're the scum of the earth. Want to know why? Because you're too stupid to do the research into why you think you support Ukraine. And if you think I'm wrong, I will debate you anywhere, anytime on this issue because I will crush you because I have the facts. You don't. 
And you're stupid because you put the Ukrainian flag up there and you don't know why you do it. Or if you do know why you do it, then you really are a Nazi supporter. Mm. Indeed. And then maybe to put a tie a bow on this to a uh, journalist, Aramate uh, of the gray zone, he tweeted in reference to some of these more maybe Zionist oriented Jewish organizations that have said something. I don't think they've, I don't think they have gone hard on the issue of, Hey, the entire Canadian government is probably doing a pretty bad thing here by celebrating this guy. Also, uh, this is not just a Canadian problem. It's the entire collective West. But Aramate posed the question. He was like, well, why is it so infuriating to celebrate this guy, but not, but what, but there's not that same outrage for the fact that these forces are being funded and armed in this conflict right now by Canada, by the United States, by the rest of the NATO countries. So uh, you know, I, I think it really is a reflection of not just the historic problem that you have spoken so well on, but also the reality right now in Ukraine that every time we bring it up, we're just repeating Putin's lie that Russia is denazifying Ukraine. What, what killed me was there. is um, in 2018, the U.S. Congress uh, voted in favor of an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act, which was allocating monies to Ukraine to train the Ukrainian armed forces. And that amendment clearly said that U.S. taxpayer dollars cannot be used to fund the Azov Battalion. Why? Well, don't ask me. Ask Congress, because they wrote it in the amendment. Because the Azov Battalion is a white supremacist neo-Nazi organization. And a lot of fine Congress members from both parties signed on to this, primarily Democrats, though. Um, but they signed on to it and because they said there's a Nazi problem in Ukraine and we don't want to fund it. Now, in 2022, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I know I hear all the boos and the hisses right now. Okay. <laughs> but um, she stood up and she said, why are we sending U.S. taxpayer money to fund Nazis in Ukraine? And she was just shouted down by Jamie Raskin and all these other wonderful Jewish Democratic guys, all of whom supported that amendment, voted in favor of that amendment because there were Nazis in Ukraine. But now they're saying, this is Russian propaganda. There are no Nazis in Ukraine. I mean, they're not even trying to at least show how they, you know, had a uh, come to Jesus moment. They went, oh, my God, there are no Nazis in Ukraine. I was wrong the whole time. Nope. It, one moment, you can't spend U.S. taxpayer dollars because there's Nazi. The next moment, oh, wait a minute, Nazis have become convenient. There are no Nazis. It shows you the intellectual and moral shallowness of these lawmakers because they stand for nothing, literally. They stand for nothing. And they're damn sure not Americans. And I'll say that right to them. Jamie Raskin, you're a traitor, son of a you-know-what. And I hope and pray someday they find you guilty of treason and you go to jail for the rest of your life. Because you have betrayed your country. You've betrayed the memory of my uncle. Okay, My uncle, who went across Normandy six days afterwards, but he went across the beach, worked his way up through France, got into Belgium, got ambushed by the Germans. The 88s opened up, took out his company, killed 250 guys in an instant. They're buried in Luxembourg Cemetery. I visited the graves with him um, as he weeps for the loss of his friends. This was in the cause of defeating Nazi Germany. And now... We have members of Congress today who lie about there being Nazis in Ukraine, saying there are none. And then they turn around. Remember, the same people that said you can't spend money on Azov 
in September 2022, invite Azov into the People's House, into Congress. They praise them. Nancy Pelosi says, Slava Ukraina, as if it's a good thing. Nancy, read yeah. your history. In the OUN handbook, the actual handbook, you know, when you join the OUN back in 1943, the handbook sits there and talks about the slogans and why you say it. You say glory to the heroes. You say, you know, glory, glory to Ukraine. And then the, how to give the salute and all this stuff. 100% Nazi affiliated. And Nancy Pelosi's Slava Ukraina. I mean, she's an idiot. Thank God she's done. But everybody stood there. She should have been fired at the moment. All of Congress should. She held up a banner signed by Nazis. I mean, this is... <sighs> My blood pressure is probably going to go up and I'm going to die of a heart attack before your show is done, but it'll be in a good cause. Because we yeah. need to educate people on this. This yeah. isn't an accident, ladies and gentlemen. This isn't a lack of understanding. This is deliberate. It was done deliberately in the Canadian Parliament. I'm telling you right now, they knew they had a Nazi in their midst, but they chose to whitewash it because that's in vogue right now. And it's done in the U.S. Congress. They let these Azov thugs hold a... Um, to sell, to do an auction for memorabilia, and it, they're selling the patches from the Azov uniform with the damn Nazi symbols on them. And they're and in Congress, the American Congress, they raised $30,000 for a good cause. Good cause. Same cause that had that 90-year-old man 70 years ago jam a bayonet into a pregnant Jewish woman's belly. 